Boom, what up? Hello, bonjour, and hola, real leaders. This is Kevin Edwards, your host here, and I am so excited. You're tuning in to one of our amazing experiences. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, real, and loaded with inspiration, guaranteed to support your impact journey. So sit back, enjoy the listen, folks, share a review afterward, and always keep it real. Four, three, two, and one. Welcome, everyone, to this episode of the Real Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and joining us today, folks, we have Andrew White, the CEO of Transcend.Space, and also senior fellow at the Side Business School there in the University of Oxford. Andrew, my man, thanks for coming on the show today. Kevin, it's great to be with you, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation we're going to have today. I am too. It's not every day uh, you, know, you start off a conversation with someone that says, you know, I teach meditation at the University of Oxford there. Tell me a little bit more about kind of your passions, your interests, and the work that you're doing. Yes. So I just a bit of background. I've been in the business school for 18 years. Um, I also, as of January the 1st this year, I set up my own company. So I work globally with leaders, kind of helping them think through transformation. Where do they need to go over the next year? three years, five years. And I do that through coaching and leadership retreats. So I guess I'm I'm very much interested in what are the interventions that help. And, and what I notice is leaders are in a more and more frenetic world, a more unpredictable world. Um, devices, I think we were just saying before we started, Kevin, are pinging and buzzing, and it's hard to be silent, really. And what we know is that actually we need to go back sometimes to a place of quietness in ourselves, a quietness within the groups that we're in to make better decisions. And that's really where I felt that a private practice that I had of meditation would be relevant to the audience that I'm working with. And um, I'm in the middle of running the advanced management and leadership program here at the business school. Um, I'm literally halfway through a three week program with 46 leaders from about 30 different countries. Um, and we have an optional class on meditation in there as well. So it's showing up in different parts of my work and I'm, I'm finding it's, it's not a panacea. I don't print, pr I don't present it as that. Some people find that stillness walking in nature um, or with music, um, but meditation is something that I think a lot of people find, particularly leaders, find particularly helpful. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I can't tell you how many leaders on this show uh, rave about meditation and what it's done for really their life. Mm -hmm. And there's different forms of meditation, of course. Um, but it's no secret that uh, whether you're just have a high stressful environment or you're uh, a CEO putting out fires every day, it is tough to turn it off. Uh, help me understand though a little bit more about the the like the uh, stage of leaders that you're in. Are you more focused on those hyper growth CEOs who are constantly looking to innovate, or are you focused on CEOs who maybe have more of a mature business, have already kind of figured out their model, their products, and kind of yeah. their, their strategy? So. This is my view. I don't think anybody can sit there and claim they figured out their model or their strategy. We're living in okay. a world where there's so much disruption. So mm. I don't really differentiate between large or small. Um, I don't differentiate between government or not government. I'm interested in organizations and leaders who, A, are at a senior level in their organization. So they've got the power to make decisions. 
and B, who are really facing into a major transformation challenge. Um, so that they're seeing that the world around them is changing and for their organization to stay relevant, they have to innovate, they have to transform. Um, and that's what I'm really interested in working on with them. Um, how can we support them on that journey? How can we help them get to the next stage of growth or the next stage of the business model? Um, recognizing that what's really got them to where they've got to today strategically is not going to get them to where they need to be in the next three years, five years, 10 years. And, and I'd hate to generalize, but where do you find for, I guess, the, what is the most common holdup or bottleneck or... Um, I think you you coined it as uh, you like to intervene. Like where where yeah. is it in that business owner's um, I guess a life cycle or growth that they are really stuck or or most challenged in this transformation? I think this is the place I normally find them is that on the one hand you have a group of people that realize that things are changing that there's a kind of a a sense that they they can't continue with the status quo. But often they don't know how to have the conversation. And what I'm really doing is holding a space for, and I use two questions to frame this. One is, what is it that you're not talking about that you need to talk about? Um, and generally, if I ask that question, half of them might look at the floor because there's a discomfort in that. The next question, which is a bit lighter, can still be difficult, which is, tell me, what is it that you are always talking about but never resolve? And I, I can almost guarantee I have, well, I can guarantee I have never met an organization where half the group do not laugh at this point, um, because there's always things in every organization that, you know, you know, come back over and over again. They come back onto the executive team meeting. They come back through different papers. We might ask a consultant to go out and do a review and then it comes back. But for some reason, we're not able to resolve it. Um, and so those two questions can often lead to a day or two days worth of conversation, um, particularly when we go on to, OK, so what do we need to do about that? How do we turn that into action and activity? Um, um, and so that's really what I'm trying to unlock. Um, and then, you know, we are present with what is we're present with the issues that come up and we will stay with them as long as they need us to stay with them on that journey. I, I love that. And, and what a unique role and really role in their their lives that you really have. I think there was someone, a facilitator who I was asking, I was like, you know, why why are you in facilitation? I was like, well, I, did, I either had the choice to be a king or a kingmaker. And and I chose, chose to be a kingmaker. Why do you do it? Like, what what do you find so fascinating about this work? So I've always been interested in disruption. I think I started my academic career and I did a doctorate in this. And it was incredibly rare, to be honest. You go back, it was, you know, the camera industry, I think, was one of the first ones that went through this wave of major change with Polaroid and then with Kodak and then with the printing industry. Um, and what I realized was that this was, they weren't common things. Um, and then fast forward through 2008, and through the kind of the world that we're now living in, I don't think there's a single industry that is not in disruption or facing into disruption in the near term future. And I think the case for disruption has become greater. It's not just about you know, competitive survival. Um, it's also about how do energy companies make a major transition to green energy? How do you know, the food and in drink industry not have the damaging impact on society that they, you know, do currently. And, you know, they're changing and they're kind of looking at the consumption of plastic and 
sugar and things, but it's still, it's not in the place where it probably needs to be. And so I just recognized that there were companies for various reasons that were leaning into, we have to radically change how we operate. And they're similar within certain parts of government. Um, you know, the, the government has to change what it does because it's also, you know, arguably been caught on the back foot on too many occasions. And I'm really interested in, you know, not necessarily just the academic study of it, but actually working with leaders who are in the midst of the struggle, who are trying to find a way through that. Um, and it's difficult. It's not easy for them. And they need support and they need compassion and they need assistance and they need to learn from different industries what other people are doing. Um, and they need a space to talk openly and confidentially about what their, you know, their plans are, their worries are, their, what they see as risks, what they see as opportunities. And and what leaders have you found, I guess, in your experience uh, that do a great job, I guess, um, I guess the word, the word that comes to my mind is like mentally, but the ones that are able to continue to to grow their business and keep a great mental state. Yeah. Because fear is always coming in. It's always yeah. coming into business leaders and it's just risk, risk, risk and risk averse. And what are these, you know, I'm the leader, I'm supposed to show you know, how strong I am. And, you know, when I make a decision to to cut something that we've been working on for, for, yeah. you know, three months, it reflects bad on my judgment and planning. Like what, what have you found to be some good common traits or practices good leaders have done to effectively yeah. navigate this? So I would say probably the first one is that they are prepared to accept that the status quo isn't working. They're prepared to call it. Um, and then to be honest, the sooner that they can the sooner they do that, I think the quicker they can move on to what's really important, which is how do things actually practically need to change. Um, I think the second is, where do you get the energy for that? And what I'm finding more and more leaders are doing is saying, well, if I link our organization, not just to shareholders, but to our role in society, the impact we want to have on the world, that gives a certain energy to people. It, it, it's about opportunity, not, not risk. Risk is still there, but it's about opportunity, and that's energizing. And so whether you call it purpose-driven, whether you call it about stakeholders, um, you know, and some of the most some of the people I found to be most successful at this have radically reinvented what it means to lead, and they've radically reinvented business models. And so if I may, I you know, there's three examples that I'll point to. The first is David Katz, who runs something called the Plastic Bank. I've done a podcast with him. I think he's incredible. I mean, essentially, when most of us look at plastic in the ocean, and I know you see this as a surfer, I see it as a sailor. Um, um, you know, it's not a pleasant thing, and we see the damage of it. And when we look at poverty, the same. David doesn't think like normal people. Um, he sees that as an opportunity. So he's taken money from consumer goods companies. He's paid it to people in low-income countries where plastic is washing up. Um, that money goes into their household incomes and lifts them out of poverty. The plastic becomes recycled plastic, which is branded plastic for good. Um, it's sold back to the consumer goods companies. And it, there's something deeply spiritual about it. It's like applying a non-dual lens to plastic and poverty and saying, actually, these things can change. The other one is somebody called Odette Excel in um, Australia. Um, often we think that development organizations and investment banks really don't mix. It's oil and water. Odette doesn't think like that. She says there's no difference in her mind between the goodness of a, of a midwife and, there's a, and, and the role of an investment banker. 
So on the one hand, the Adara Group is an investment bank, and on the other hand, it's a world ex expert in neonatal care. Um, and so she, as she said, you know, I can ask an investment banker to give me a million dollars, or I can ask them to come and work on a deal that generates $25 million that then goes into the foundation or into the into the development part of, of what they do. And she's mixing oil and oil and water, and it's incredible to see. Then the final one is a guy called Jack Sim in Singapore who runs the World Toilet Organization. And um, Jack's been responsible, I think, for about close to a billion new toilets being put in um, into low sanitation areas of the world. Um, and it's him and six other people. And so, you know, the, the disproportionate impact he's had through a very small team is incredible. So I think in all those three examples, um, at the moment, they're exceptional. I think the world needs them to become normal. And it's the level of insight they have, the self-awareness they have. They're all deeply spiritual people, um, but they're also incredibly creative. And they're, you know, I think the plastic bank is worth about a billion dollars from my understanding. So, you know, this isn't just about charity. It's about something that's about taking business and making it a force for good. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. It's really the the new norm. And, and you know, a lot of these folks got the inspiration from a, a gentleman by the name of Muhammad Yunus, right? You know, uh, yes. banking for the poor, you know, and, yeah. and, and lifting people out of poverty with micro loans and micro funding. And it, the, I think you really did hit, hit the, the, the nail on the head there. And I, in my experience, I mean, that's all we interview are social entrepreneurs and, and for-profit, you know, scalable, social innovative businesses. And I would say this is they are all artists uh, where, you know, a musician may mix 808s with vocal cords. Uh, these entrepreneurs mix purpose with, with uh, profits. And so it's just what's difficult for a lot of these entrepreneurs is they don't really have a space. I mean, it's like, it's like an artist trying to explain his art. It's like abstract. It's like, what is that? Mm -hmm. Are you, so where do you think we are in this conversation of purpose and profits? Do you think that there is a shift in leaders recognizing that, as you put it, the status quo needs to be disrupted? I mean, in my experience and with the leaders I work with, I think, I, I think more and more and more are recognizing that profound shifts need to take place in what they do. Um, so disruption is the norm. Um, I don't think they always know how to do it. Um, and, you, you know, but there's a huge amount of innovation taking place out there. Um, I think sometimes the public discourse in the press is disconnected from reality. Um, if I think about the solutions that are being created to address the climate challenge and other things, they are way beyond, um, you know, experimental in many cases. We need more of the experimental, don't get me wrong, but there are some very concrete things out there like wind and solar, which need rolling out and they need capital behind them. Um, and they're at that stage of stage of development. So I think, you know, we are we're probably going through for business with a time which is in hindsight probably one of the most interesting in terms of a you know an industrial revolution which we're not calling an industrial revolution but in hindsight we might see it as such interesting interesting yeah it's there comes a time where you know we need to reach a, a moral ground as a 
as a humanity, as a as a population, yeah. as a society. And and it's really going to take leaders to recognize that. And I think that's what we're finding as well is, as you put it earlier, employees are just much more engaged when they can tap into a purpose. Yeah. Uh, you can retain your employees longer. You can recruit values aligned individuals. You can, you're more likely to have better collaborations with values aligned organizations. The benefits uh, are are very clear. It's just, can we get there? And are there yeah. enough artists in the world? So, exactly. uh, and I can it, add one other thing. As yeah, well. absolutely. More, more people are recognizing that if we apply technology in such a way that we get rid of jobs, who are going to be the consumers? And if we destroy the environment in such a way that we can't function, where's business going to operate? So I would say there's more and more people waking up to some existential realities that, you know, that business functions well when there's a good group of employees, there's good products and services, and there's good consumers for those products and services. But where the, where the ground starts to get challenged, um, and I think, you know, there's a, the, particularly the debates in ethical AI and how automation is going to be rolled out. And also in terms of climate, in terms of have we got the technologies that we need and are we adjusting at the rate we need to, those things become existential. And that's when they really, really matter. Yeah, it, it, I'm curious to learn, like, I'm sure you put a lot of thought into this, but like, what do you think, like the certified B Corporation standards, like that that was a, a, a you know, an idea, right? Like you, if you could put it into the legislature, you know, where you as a business owner do not have to, fidu- like, you don't have a fiduciary responsibility to maximize shareholder value. Like, what do you think in all of, all of your talks, conversations, like, what do you think is either at the root of this or or a major shift where you can intervene? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure that's the biggest issue. Um, you know, for me, the things that will accelerate us most quickly to the future will be businesses that find a formula for where profitable growth is aligned with the needs of the climate or the needs of society. Um, And there are certain businesses out there that are starting to find those solutions. Now, the B Corp and registration may be a good mechanism to get on that route um, in terms of the guidance that you get for that. but I think there's something bigger and more important around, you, you know, the where is future value and future profit going to come from? Um, and, you, you know, do, do we want to hold on to business models that are dated and out of date? I suspect when you go into this, it's more about governments taking away subsidy um, and creating a level playing field for some of these new technologies. Um, to scale up and 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 more of the fiscal environment um, that needs to shift, um, and also the financing for technology that needs to be in place. If you think about how easy it is to buy cars now, you know, um, when in the old days you'd have to go out and take out a loan and all of that, and it's become much easier to fund capital um, assets. Um, and I think particularly at the household level, that's where we need some of that innovation and some of that thinking. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I love your take, Andrew. I appreciate you coming on the program today. Very fun and enlightening discussion. In all of this, what is your definition of a real leader? I think it's somebody who is grounded in reality. They've got to make stuff happen. But they also have an understanding of how the world around them is changing, 
what that means for their operation and business model, and are able to mobilize a community of a, really a social movement. Um, um, and I think we've found through our research that that is what gets discretionary effort out of people. Um, that's what gets people's hearts, their minds, and it gets faster adoption. It gets more satisfied workers. Um, so if you can kind of understand the world, understand your operation, understand how that needs to change, and then create a social movement around that, that really starts to unlock transformation. Well said, for Andrew White, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there. I like this. Stay grounded and mobilized and always keep it real. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you, Kevin. Hey, Relators, thanks again for listening to this amazing episode. And if you're someone like me who goes all the way to the end just to make sure I can extract as much information, education, and inspiration out of every single interview, might I suggest you check out our magazine. If you go online to Relators.com today, you're going to get the first 30 days for free where you're going to be able to access all of our magazines courses and live events from some of the top thought leaders around the world. All you have to do is go online to realleaders.com and click the subscribe button in the top right corner to get your free 30-day trial right now. Again, that's real-leaders.com. Thanks again for being a real leader and always keep it real.